to our lives. We just ask that you continue to lead us in all things by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you may be seated. I don't hear myself in the house. I ain't getting on. Got green here. as we try to figure out what our technical difficulties are. But if you do have, if you're here, those of you online, just be patient with us for a moment. We'll get some sound to you. Uh, go ahead and uh, go to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And, and what I want to do tonight is uh, pick up a little bit of kind of where we left off last week and just talk about just a little bit about that and then flow on into the points that Paul is trying to make tonight. You know, the discussion in, in chapter 3 regarding the, the status of ministers of the gospel led to further explanation of how believers should regard ministers. You know, last week we were talking about how they saw ministers and, uh, and, the, and they lowered the standards to the point that they saw more emphasis in place, more emphasis on the men or women of God, in this case, men of God, who will represent God and not necessarily on uh, Jesus himself. And so what happened was he made the point that even though uh, Apollos and Peter and himself uh, were laborers, they were not the foundation. And so last week we spent a lot of time discussing that foundation and making it clear that Jesus is the foundation but at the same time, realizing that we all have to build on that foundation. And so we may build with different materials, have different works and do different things, some better than others. But as long as we don't destroy the foundation, it, it'll be up to God to decide how we're going to be rewarded once we get to heaven. And we kind of proved that with some scriptures last week to support that. So, so no minister has ever redeemed any of us. I have not redeemed anybody. I didn't die for anybody. So when I come before you, it is not my job to try to advance my doctrine, my teaching, my philosophy. Now, I can give examples and practical illustrations of how the scriptures may relate to my life, but when it comes to the gospel, you know, the scriptures got to speak for themselves. And so, therefore, sometimes when we don't understand that, we lose sight of the scriptures because we place so much emphasis on the messenger. And so, therefore, sometimes we can discredit the messenger because of the way he looked or the what some things we may know. But at the same time, sometimes we can elevate the messenger because we ain't aware, we, we're not aware of what's going on really behind closed doors in the messenger's life. So, the key thing is that whatever the messenger, whenever the messenger come before you, you try to focus, and we're going to see it tonight, you try to focus in on the scriptures. 
If you can focus in on the scriptures and put blinders on sometime when it comes to the mess, when they're presented, then you should still be able to receive something from God's word. And if you can receive something from God's word, then you can apply that to your life and your life will be the, the better, even though in secret, the messenger may not be living what he preaches. And I know that's hard. I know that's hard because I'm going to look at him and I'm going to just, but, but let, me, let me read this. Let me, I know Major going to have some issue with that, but let me, let me get there. Let me get there tonight. Major, hold up till I get there. And, and so what I, that's the thing tonight is that, man, understand, don't lose focus of Jesus because of the messenger. Now, there are a lot of people out there now who are powerful ministers, ministers, men and women in God. And what happens is they become personality figures. And then before long, they become cult followers, people cult followings um, amongst their members where they elevate the man or woman of God above Jesus. You go to churches and you see pictures of that person all over the place, but then there's nothing that you see to represent Jesus there. You know, and, and, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with, you know, putting the picture up, say that, you know, you're the pastor of the church here and all that. But when it comes to who the true star is, it got to be Jesus. You know, and, and we're just servants, and that's what he's going to say tonight. We're just servants that God has called us to be faithful. Just servants. Not Jesus. So let me start reading. Let me start reading, because I, I want you to understand and get this. He says, in, in verse 1 and 2, he says, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mystery. God has assigned us to teach this gospel, to reveal to you the mysteries of the gospel, primarily the mystery that the Gentiles were going to be brought in, the mystery of the resurrection, the things that you don't know. God has assigned men or women to present that. And he says, now sometime when we know this, we are not to boast in the man or the woman. They're just vessels that God is choosing to use. I'm just a vessel that God is choosing to use. And it's up to me to carry out my responsibilities to the best of my ability. He says, now look, now a person, talking about stewardship, who is put in charge as a manager, some Bible will say steward, or servant, must be faithful. So, so the criteria for me or any minister or man or woman of God who stand up before God's people, you can't be unfaithful. God requires us to be faithful. Now, when I come to you, I'm hoping that I'm going to come to you with a message that is faithful to the, to the word of God, that I'm going to carry myself faithfully before you. However, don't look at just what you see here on Sunday, because there may be some things that happen on Monday you ain't got no clue about. And because you don't have no clue about those things, whether they're good or bad, then don't look at me trying to sort that out. You focus on the message. I know it's hard, Major. I know it's hard because that's, that's why I think church would be better. We came with blinders on, and, we, and all we could do is just come in with blinders on so that we can get past the messenger because that's what these people are caught up in, the personality of the messenger. 
I like this guy's style better than that guy's style. I like the way he articulate better than that one. I like the way this one look. He's, you know, he, he is sound like he's better. I like Peter because he walked with Jesus. He was right there with him. So therefore, I'm not able to receive from these other ministers of God. Go ahead, Brother Mason. Yeah, I, th I, I think I was speaking more in terms of pastor. Say, say it's somebody that, that's new to Christianity, new to Christ, that don't understand the word. So what will happen is they'll look to somebody. The closest thing to them that looks like what they should be like. And so what they'll do is they'll say, okay, pastor's a preacher. I want to, since I don't understand the word, I'm not understanding, I'm going to watch how he acts. I'm going to watch how the ministers and the deacons act because they don't understand the word. And so what happens is they start, and the minute you mess up, they say, oh, man, I thought, because they don't understand the word, they're hearing it. But they're not, they're not studying it. They're looking, okay, they're looking for something. And what they look for, they look for it in you and deacons and ministers, and they watch us. It's just like a kid. They don't understand everything you're telling them. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. So what they'll do is the things you're telling them not to do, they'll watch you. And so when you do it, so now they say, well, wait a minute. Now, this is not adding up. And I, and I think for, in a lot of ways, that's what young Christians do because they don't understand it. So what they do is they find someone or something to watch. Okay, what, it, what, it, what is Christianity supposed to look like? And they latch on to a person, whether that be a mega minister or whatever. They latch on to what the person is doing, not necessarily what they're saying because they don't yet fully understand what they're saying. And they're not studying for themselves because they don't know where to start. So they start with, well, I'm going to watch him. But the minute I mess up, that gives us no credibility. I, and, I, and, 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 and I agree with that. I think there's a lot of validity to that. However, it, you know, the, the point that, that needs to be made is that as Christians, we have to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. Sure. So therefore, like Bereans, they heard Paul for the first time. They was heathen coming out of the world. But he told them, hey, you take what I tell you. Go home and study it for yourself. So take what the pastor is saying. Take what this person. Because you're right. They're going to look to that leader, that human leader, and say, okay, I'm hoping that he's living right. So I'm telling you, that's not your focus. Sure. Your focus when you come to church as a baby Christian is to try to focus on this word. Right. Now, it's hard if you go to a church where they don't even open the Bible. Right. Now, now, that's different. Now, you go to some church that just read one little line, and then after that, close the book and just start talking to you. Then it comes a philosophical time in the Lord, unless they are a, a, a one of those orators who can speak from memory. But a lot of times when people don't reference the Bible, all they're doing is pontificating on what they know in their own opinion. So I'm a believer that scripture ought to be validated in church. Scripture ought to be presented. And under the, under the, the way this was done in Jesus' day, when they went in the church, they didn't have preachers like we have today. It wasn't all that showmanship. The Bible said they opened up the scroll and they just started reading and after he got through reading the scroll, he closed the book and said, everything you read is about me. So now, that style of ministry won't fly without the congregation that we deal with today. Now, some pastors, there are some churches out there who preachers get up every Sunday and read line by line by line. And some people will say, hey, man, that ain't my style of learning. That's boring, da-da-da-da. But those guys believe that, hey, when you go to church, the scriptures ought to be read. So instead of me taking a topic 
uh, out of a, partic- a passage out of a p- particular chapter, that pastor may say, hey, today I'm just going to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and that's all we're going to do, read it, expound on it, and all you're going to get is the scripture. Now, I'm not saying one method is right or wrong, but I do think believers got to take responsibility for trying to learn what they've been taught and then fellowship with other believers so that they can grow and learn. But you, you can't get there if you come to church and then, you, like you said, if you don't know nothing, the blind, you know, you can be easily led astray. But I will hope that the, that the Spirit of God will look in your heart and protect you and give you some insight so that nobody will manipulate you and take advantage of you in church. But I know that that happens a lot of times because of people's ignorance. People are hurt by the things sometimes that they just don't know. And so it's our job as ministers and, and leaders to try to teach people and explain these mysteries so that people will know. And we have to keep, our, keep everything in proper perspective, realizing that our role, we're just managers. We don't own none of this. We're just managers. God just tr- entrusting this to us as managers, and he expecting us to be faithful. That's the criteria. I would hope that every preacher that read this Bible know this passage. And, they, and, and, they, and their heart is right that, hey, I'm going to try to live this passage. I'm going to try to be as faithful as I can and not lead God's people astray. Can't speak for everybody, but I think that's what ministers ought to have at their heart is to try to be faithful to the one who called them and not get caught up in their own personality and, and, and then start leading people astray. For, and most of the time when young people are led astray in churches, it is for the gain of the leaders. And most of the time, the person that benefited ministries like that is the leader. That's something that's always going to be aimed and targeted at him. And right now, you got to, you know, sometimes people on the street come in with more wisdom streetwise because they can see game when they know it. They see when they know it. They know it. Hey, man, this is, it's just in a different place, but the game is the same. This is no different than the way we hustle on the street. It's just happening in the church. So I think sometimes we just come in and use good, sound, common sense. It can help us as we're going through the growing process, but it's good to have other faithful members that you know that you can bounce things off when you don't understand the scripture. But we got to put in the work, man. You you ain't going to learn it just by showing up on Sunday. You you, got to study it, man. Get a mic, Major. Now we're good. Uh, some, some of, some of the, the, the services now, they're there for entertainment. You know, I've, I've, I've been to uh, the church my son goes to. I mean, that was like a mini concert. And then, and then the, the preacher gave a pep talk for, for 10, 15 minutes. Then they went and had coffee, and the house was full. It was just entertainment. And, and that's where I think styles of ministries and different types of ministries are doing things now because there is a mindset that the attention span of this younger generation is not there. So what we're going to do, we got to cater to the audience. The, 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 the younger generation, they want to see the hype. They want to see the performance. And so therefore, nothing wrong with that. But, but beyond the performance, there got to be some substance. So if I'm going to a church like that, I will say, okay, if the choir is singing, are, are they singing things that's consistent with God's word? Regardless of how they perform and whether they got lights and whistles and all that to go along with it, 
it, it, does the music have some spiritual value to what they're saying? Not so much the style. And then this 15-minute sermon is it of substance because a long sermon can be bad too. So, so I wouldn't put a lot of emphasis on the length of it, but I will try to focus in on the substance. Did the pastor say something that had some spiritual truth connected to it that I can walk out of here with it, whether I got it in 15 minutes or whether I got it in 45 minutes? Go ahead, go ahead and get, use the mic. The, the songs are, are spiritual, but I think it's what you said, uh, we talked about last week, the, the, the deliverance of it. It was like a rock concert. The song, the music made you feel good, whether or not you heard any words or not. The, 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 the drums and the guitar, it made you feel good because it sounded good. Now, whether or not you heard any words, and, and again, I mean, and, I mean, and, and, and I, I hear you, Major, but from the seat that we're sitting in, I can't say whether or not a person wasn't blessed by what they heard. Fair, fair I, I can't say that. I, I can say that now I'm looking at that style of worship and say, that ain't, that ain't my vibe. I, I want to go somewhere where they're going to open the Bible and yeah. teach me. So I'm going to go find a ministry that lines up more with what I'm, a, what I'm looking for than to say, hey, man, I just want to go and feel good. I mean, I talk to young people all the time. A person lived close to one of them, close to my daughter, and she was telling me, the, the, the young lady said, man, I don't want to go to church if I can't feel good. So I don't want nobody, I don't want to go to no church where someone is going to give me a message that may be warning me about some things that I may be doing wrong. So therefore, if I got to go and listen to a warning message, I'm going to go listen to somebody who's going to not give me that much warning, but going to make me feel good. And if that is working for you and changing your life, whether it's a stern message or it's a fluffy message, if, is it changing the person's life? If somebody's life is being changed, that is the evidence of our preaching. We hope that it's impacting somebody's life. So, so, so this is what he was trying to say. Now, so let me go back. He said, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. So, to, so I can't, you know, I can't stand before God on nobody's faithfulness but mine. God is going to be the one who's going to determine what I'm faithful. Paul going to make this clear right here in a few minutes. He said, now look, as for me, verse 3 and 4, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. Paul said, look, man, look here. When, when, I, when I'm doing what God called me to do, I don't even care what y'all evaluate. I don't care if y'all say, well, Peter sure sound better than Paul. Apollos, man, his stuff is together, man. Apollos, man, he, he had a poem with his sermon today. Paul got up there and just told us, don't do this. You need to watch out for this, that the Holy Spirit is saying this. But Peter, you know, he kind of gave it to us in a different way. So Paul said, look, as a minister, if we know we're doing what God has called us to do and we're in the lane that God put us in, then we got to be able to say, like he said, man, I don't care what people think about my delivery because I know who's holding me accountable for what I deliver. And he's saying, look, I, I, it don't matter very little of how you might evaluate me by your own human, any human authority. He said, now look, this thing is so deep. He said, when it comes to this self-evaluation, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Because I may get up there and say, boy, I sure laid it on the day. 
you know, man, they were, they were rolling up. Man, I was real good today, man. You know, I, I just felt, boy, that that one hit today. I mean, when I saw Major over there walking in like that, man, I was on it today. You know, the choir brought it, and I got up there and throwed this down, boy, and everybody. Oh, they were standing up. Oh, they were, I was on. Paul said, look at me, when it comes to that, I don't even trust my own self. Because I have a tendency to over-evaluate myself. That's what he's saying. He said, now, when it comes to that level of judgment, the only person I trust is, is God. Because he knows the real deal. Major, you're on to it. That is a, there's an element of worship where you can take people where you want them to go with just music. Some people will go to church, boy, if you just give them a the pep rattle all day long with music, they don't care about the word because music has a way of taking people to place. It can get into our spirit sometimes quicker than the word. And so, so what we got to see here is that Paul said, man, look, when it comes to y'all evaluating my performance, I don't even trust myself. Because I may think I did all right today, but God is saying, man, you was off the mark. God see, but the, that, like you said, Major, that little youngster out there who don't know no better, well, Pastor was right on today. And then the word get back to me, you know, Pastor, oh, we love that word on today. Then I felt, yeah, I was, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. God said, nah, man. <laughs> no, nah, dog, you wasn't that good. Don't over-evaluate yourself. Don't even trust your own, because you know what? we have a tendency to be hard on other people than we are on ourselves. So I'll see your faults and, and, and they'll be glaring, but then when it comes to me, I'll overlook myself. And so what he's saying, he's saying, look, he says, my conscience, in verse 4, he said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I, that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. God is the final arbitrator. The Lord is the final arbitrator when it comes to what we do in our service to him because he's the one that called us. So therefore, men can be deceived by our, by our outer appearance and how we put on the facade, but God can see behind the curtain. He knows what goes on behind the, the veil. He knows what goes on. Well, let me show you the reading because I won't get him. Because he make it clear. I like, I like the beginning of this because Paul, before he get very sarcastic here later on, he kind of makes some powerful points. In a few minutes, he's going to get kind of sarcastic when he starts throwing little stones at them for the way they treat him. He said, now, he says, now, because I don't want to even examine myself because I know the Lord is going to decide and examine me, he says, now, look, for us then, don't. So don't make, verse 5, don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. Sometimes we can be premature in our judgment of people. Now this right here is not talking about if someone is violating sin. The context of this is not saying, okay, we, we can call sin, sin. But we're saying that, hey, when a person is up and doing what they're supposed to do, we're not to be the judge before it's time because our judgment could be off, but the final judge may have something entirely different than what we judge. So that's why he's going to tell us later, don't come and judge the person. Come and seek the scriptures. So now look, he says, don't judge anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. 
For he will bring our darkest, somebody say secrets, to light and will reveal our private motives. See, a preacher, you can get, get up and talk about how much you love the Lord. And that could be so much private and secret stuff going on in you. And we ain't got a clue. Because we don't have the capability to look deep down into the private you. The secrets. And, and everybody got secrets. Don't sit here and say, oh, no, 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 no. Everybody got secrets. There's some things about you that just you and God know. And you ain't going to get up and, and reveal them on stage. You're going to put on the right coat, put on the right tie, put on the right robe, and you're going to say the right things. And so with that, he's saying, now look, God going to look past the robe, he's going to look past the performance, and he's going to see, hey, this person's motivation, this person's uh, uh, goal of doing things, uh, the way they're doing things, is really not what it's piped up to be because I don't see behind the curtain. I know. Now, what we have to do is to wait until those things are exposed because I believe God is not going to let someone mock him forever. Sooner or later, if those things are leading his people astray, if those things are causing people to stumble and fall, I believe God has an obligation to expose people. And so, therefore, when people get exposed, then it's public. If you just go to some of these Christian websites now, you can see folks getting exposed every week. Who were held in high esteem and doing things, you know, before people, and people held them in high esteem because they was looking at the outer person and not necessarily knowing the secrets in that person's life. But I'm pretty sure they would say, man, I was learning some powerful things from that person, especially if they was reading the scriptures. People that come to churches sometimes when they want to do certain things, they do things, they can do the right things from the wrong motive. And sometimes we looking in, all we see is the intent. Hey, this is what I really want to do. And sometimes you just, okay, you trust that their motives are right. But eventually, if you watch them and let them go long enough, the true motivation is going to show up. Won't show up. So therefore, our job is not to try to do what God is here to do. We got to trust that God is going to allow us to, at some point in time, get to a level of growth so we can discern certain things spiritually. Because God is a revealer. And, 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 and that's why we have to sit back and say, okay, I'm going to church on Sunday or Wednesday. I am going to focus on the word, and I'm going to try to get something out of here that I can apply to my life to make me better. That's my focus. That's why I'm here. And then now, as a result of that, if there's something that I don't know, then I'm going to trust that God is going to do his work, either in that person's heart or to expose that person so he don't continue to lead his people astray. Brother Herb, and then, then Major will come out here. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, uh-huh. I know that, I know that uh, you mentioned that, uh, especially when, you, when Paul was talking about the first two of, of the scripture, and he's been 
as a steward or managing of, of God's word, I would say, that what he does, what he, as being a steward of that, of the hidden things of the mystery that, that he believed that he understands and he's in charge in to, to spill that out, to, to, to preach that, to, to, to present the, wor the word. And he, of, of his best, that's, that's his motive. And I would say, when you mentioned, I'm having a hard time, when you mentioned that someone have a secret, I, no, my question is, is the secret is deceitful or is it, is it bad or are secret in the sense of, of, of causing not what he's been charged with, with the mystery? Uh, that's, I'm, I'm, you know, when you say someone, uh, like I'm taking for Paul, does he have a secret to a point where he will, uh, what he's been charged with, with the mystery of words, would deceive, or is it a deceitful secret, or is it is a, a, a secret that he he's hiding from someone? It's from what I understood from from Paul, is that he has exposed to all he knows. All he does is is the gospel, and and the gospel, everything that he is going to preach, and like I said, the mystery. Now he could be wrong on some some of the things that he believe in interpretation. And that's what he's going to say is that <laughs> it will be revealed that he had made a, a error in a sense of what he understanding of the mystery. And but I, I want to more clarify when you said when you said somebody have a secret of of a uh, let me let me go back let and, me go back and read verse five and, and one other thing too what he says <laughs> in this verse here it says. Uh, where were we at? What I was trying to. Uh, okay. I come back what I was thinking. Okay, okay. So let me go back and read verse 5 again. So now oh, he's talking. We, he, okay, he's well, we at verse 5? Let me that go back and read it. Let me go back and read it. Go ahead. Go back and read it. And then, you know, we can go from there because, again, again, he's talking about how they saw their leaders. He's talking about the people who stand before them. That's what this whole context is about. They was, they was arguing about who was the best this, who the best that. He was talking about people, servants who have been called by God. And then he says, now so he says, so don't judge, don't make judgment on anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring out our so if he say our, I think he's talking about himself. He didn't say he would bring there. He said he will bring our darkest secret to light and reveal our private motives. He didn't say that. He said there may be some times that we got dark secrets and maybe sometimes we got private motives. But if we do, God's going to bring the light. So he put himself in there. That, that is a position. That's why he say. I don't get so caught up with my own self that I judge myself. I don't even trust my own. I don't trust my own self because I can tell myself, I ain't got no secrets. I ain't did nothing wrong. I'm on the up and up all the time. Now, I'm not saying that, 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 that is 
prevailing in, in every ministry, but I'm just trying to stick with what he's trying to, the point he's trying to make here is that he includes himself in our darkest secrets to light, and he will reveal our private, our private moments. Not yours, but all of them. Apollos, Peter's, mine, everybody who has been called to stand before you. Then God will give each one of us, each one, whatever praises do. So the point is, I don't do this to get the praise of Major Hines or Herbert Thompson or DeAndre Latham. If I'm doing this to get the praise of men, men may be happy because they don't know everything, whereas God is saying, ha, Pastor Bowden just don't know. Major just don't know. So therefore, when we understand this, we got to know that, hey, God is going to, is a reveal. He knows everything about us. And I do believe, and I can't speak for everybody, but I do think that there, in, in all of our life, we've had things that we very seldom share with anybody. Very seldom. Now, we may tell ourselves, wait a minute, I'm saying it's a good possibility that we all in that hour. Uh, I ain't getting no amen right there. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever God, whatever God says, he said, now look, God will give each one whatever praise is due. So that means I shouldn't be running around here looking for your, for your praise. Just do what I've been called to do and leave the praising up to God. And if he plays it on people hard to do that, I ain't expecting it. So I, I never preach expecting people to come to me and say, oh, that was a great sermon. Because I know that when people say that too often, it will go to your head. And then you'll stop going. But see, I, I, one thing I try to do always as a minister, I always go back and listen to every sermon I preach. I listen to it walking, and I find every mistake I make in there. Mistake that y'all probably don't even know. Y'all probably, ooh, that was a good sermon. Ooh, man, I should have, ooh, I could have said that a little bit different. That, Pastor, that, nothing is wrong with encouragement, though. I couldn't understand what you said. Nothing is wrong with encouraging someone oh, yeah, when yeah. they're doing, the exactly. doing whatever it is that they're doing and they're doing a, a good job. Exactly. I don't have a problem, you know, if somebody want to encourage you, but I got to be able to discern when people just praise me too much. They're heaping it on too, too much. Flowery, I just too flowery. <laughs> Major, go ahead. Let me read on before you ask me <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, uh, so we go back to, okay, uh, your secrets are revealed. So when a leader or, or, or minister or deacons fall, and let's just say for, for a pastor that's the leader of a church, what, what happens to the people that were, were looking up to you? And I know you said that they should be coming to learn the word and study the word, but what happens? Because if we're supposed to be disciples, we're supposed to water. And so when, when a pastor is found out or a leader of a church is found out, what happens to people that were relying on his faith, which they shouldn't be? And I, I get to that. It should be about Jesus and God. But that has relied on that. And then they fall away because they think that, okay, this can't be working. 
and, 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 it, and it happens. I mean, it may just, that, that's a tough one. I, I, I can't answer that from someone's standpoint who may be a child in the gospel or, or maybe not as educated in the gospel. But I think if people go to church with the right motive, I'm not going there to lock in on the personality of the pastor. Even though he's the man, woman of God, I'm not going there to lock in on his personality. I'm going there because I believe God got something he wants me to get out of this word today. So therefore, if the man of God or woman of God follow, yes, I'll be impacted and dependent on, but, but I don't think if I'm trying to grow spiritually, I shouldn't let that cause me to stop following Jesus. And not just that, you know, I think sometimes we're not the only ones in it. I mean, it gives, it gives church a bad name. It gives Christianity a bad name. So, you know, if you fall, and then, and then they say, and I invite somebody to church, they say, hey, where you go to church at? Well, I go to Striving. Oh, you go to that church where uh, the pastor stole all the money. I mean, it's, it's a discredit for all of Christianity, not just the church, not just the pastor, but, but Christianity itself. It gives it a bad name. And then now we're all seem to be hypocrites. Now, well, that's how the that world, but major, that's how the world may see it. Right. But we ain't living by the world standards. So we're, if not, we're not living by the world standards, but what we are or should be is disciples. So we're trying to get the world to change their standards and live by Christianity standards. I got and it. if we're not doing it in here, what will make them come and do this? And I think that's coming later because, again, if we're going to be that standard, we will hope that we're doing things right. I want to believe that most churches that open up in the name of Jesus, the intent going in is to do things right. Okay. However, along the way, men can get greedy. Men can become self-consumed themselves and get caught up into that and lose sight. That we're talking about and lose focus of Jesus, because now they have gotten to the point where they think that they are bigger than Jesus. And so, when people get to that point, somebody in the congregation, everybody can't be stupid. Somebody gotta gotta be able to tell them, "Hey, look here, man, that ain't true. That ain't right." But. I can see that we got the lead pilot syndrome sometimes, what you think about in the church. You know, like if jets fly in formation and they're trained, just look at the leader. So that's why when that Thunderbirds crashed out of Nevada that time, all of them died because one guy made a mistake because they were trained to just watch him and do what he do, and they all plowed right into the ground right behind him. And so now if a person come in the church with that mindset, that I'm not here to find Jesus and follow him, but he's going to tell him here later on, we're going to get there, that he want them to imitate him, but he, but he also say later that he want them to imitate him as he imitate Christ. So there's nothing wrong with good leaders being good role models. Nothing wrong with that. But, but we would hope that bad leaders would be exposed so God people won't be led astray. I would hope that. But can't say it's going to always happen. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm just going to start back reading because I want to get through, make sure I finish this. You know, uh, Pastor, you just said a major word a few minutes ago about, uh, uh, you know, exalting the preacher. You know, you, for me, myself, to be honest, I have a reason. you got to have a reason to come to church to hear the word. And I have a reason to come and hear the word because I, in that word, 
it's, it's a nugget that I got to have. And when I come, I'm looking for that nugget to bring me out of the place that I came in. And when I say, uh, you know, Pastor, good sermon, good word, you, you done fed me. You, you gave me what I needed in that moment. And that is the, purp the whole purpose of me coming to church. I don't come to church to see who here. Somebody asked me who was there. I don't even know because sometimes I don't even look around because I'm very focused on what I need. So, you know. And that, and that goes back to what Sister Myrna said earlier. Encouragement can come from anywhere and anybody. But you, if you're true to yourself, you can tell when someone is trying to flatter you and you're not living up to the word. That's true. If, if you're true to yourself. We, you, we know it. If, you, if you're really true to yourself and true to what you've been called to do, you, we know it. We know it. But sometimes we caught up in ourselves, then we overlook, like you say, that's what Paul say, I don't even trust my own judgment, man. Because Sister Stelman sent me a text, man, saying, hey, boy, that was great today. Well, that's from her point. She, she probably got the nugget she want out of it. But when I go back and listen to it critically, I say, man, I could have did that better. Could have did that better. Brother Herb, let me, I want to read on. Can I make another point? Read on, then you come back. Hold your thought. Hold your thought. I don't want to shut you down, but I do want to read on. Let me go. He said, now look, verse 6. After he talked about the, the praise that is due that God is going to give him, he says in verse 6, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollo and myself to illustrate what I have been saying. And so there's nothing wrong with some sermon when you're teaching people to use illustration. That's a form of teaching. Everything can't always be performance-based teaching. Some things you teach people through illustration. You know, ideally, some people learn better by performance. So you demo something, and then you tell them to go out there and do what you just learned. But sometimes you come to church, you have to learn based upon the illustration. That's why I tell you, don't turn your brain off when you come to church because you got to be able to follow the illustration and seeking you make sense out of what he's saying. So he's saying, look, so I have been saying, as I've been saying, to illustrate what I've been saying, look at this. He said, if you pay attention to what I have quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. Pay attention to the scriptures. If the scripture is not open and read or mentioned in sermon, then that ought to be a cause for alarm. Because now all you got to pay attention to is that person, the man. So he said, pay attention to the scriptures so you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. Going back to his original argument, this church was broken up into factions. Because one group like this guy, one group like that guy, another group like this one. And he says, man, all that is doing is taking away from Jesus. He says, now look, but what gives you the right to make such judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? He was letting the Corinthians know, because again, I told you early on, this was a high-minded church. They had a lot of gifts. They had articulate speakers. They were deep into the Greek philosophy and all that stuff. And he's saying, now look, you're making all these boasts, but what you've got to understand, 
Why you get caught up in that? Because if you truly understand that everything belongs to God, then you really ain't got nothing to be boasting about. You boast because you don't understand who gave you what you got. In chapter 1, he said, hey, look, God has given y'all spiritual gifts. And later on, we're going to see he articulate those gifts that the church has been given, gifts that when you read Paul's other letters, he don't even mention half of these gifts to the other letters, to the other churches. But he mentioned them here in the Corinthian church because this church God had blessed with, blessed with not just material things, but also spiritual gifts were working in the church. But the gift became more important than Jesus. And that's why later on, he has to say, hey, look here, you can have all them gifts, you can do all those things, prophesy, do all this, but man, if you ain't operating in love, your gift don't amount to nothing. It's just noise. Just noise. He says now, verse 8, he says, you think you, are all, you already have everything you need. You think you are already rich. Because they materially, they were, they, were, they were pretty good. You have begun to reign, reign in God's kingdom without us. In other words, man, y'all done got so high-minded. Y'all done forgot all about the people who done taught y'all this word. Y'all, y'all think you done arrived. He was kind of being sarcastic here. You know, he used a little bit of sarcasm, sarcasm to, 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 to really address their pride. Because if you go back to the beginning, all of this was about because this was a prideful church. And they prided themselves on knowing a lot of stuff. So now he's just using a little bit of sarcasm to kind of bring them down to earth. He says, you're doing all this without us. I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. He said, man, look, man, if y'all had it like that, and because I know y'all, my life would really be better. He's just trying to be funny. Y'all, y'all think y'all got it all? But in reality, y'all ain't got it all because it ain't flowing down to me. You ain't got it like that. Everything you got comes from God. So therefore, don't be walking around boasting about what you got because it belongs to God. He said, now look, instead, coming back, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle for the entire world to people and angel alike. So Paul said, look, man, when I look at what I'm going through for the cause of the gospel and how you guys are living and acting, then it looks like I'm getting the bad end of this deal. I'm the man of God. I'm the one here anointed, called to be an apostle. I'm that person that God is using. I'm his faithful servant. And what it looked like is that, man, I'm being treated like a prisoner of war. I'm being treated like we have lost the fight. And now y'all parade me through the town as if, as if I'm a loser. Man, that's tough, man. See, preachers today couldn't handle that, man. I'm telling you right now, most preachers today could not serve under these conditions. We, we are not built for that. It takes a special anointing for us to be. That's why, that's why everybody don't go to them mission fields where you stand a chance to get persecuted. We got the luxury here in America where we live in a society where religions can be expressed freely. There are some of our brothers and sisters around the world who are in countries 
Well, they are treated like scum and like treated like the dirt, like he's going to talk about, like a, like a garbage dump. Man, I, I wouldn't even know how to handle if I thought people thought I was a garbage dump. But I shouldn't be too comfortable if the, word, if the world never finds something to persecute me about. I shouldn't think that I have arrived because, man, I am living above persecution. If we are always living above persecution from the world, it's a good possibility we're not living godly. Because the Bible says, for those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. So if the world ain't got no problem with us and we come around and they never feel no inch of pinch or nothing like that, then it's a good possibility. Going back to what you said, somebody said, Major, we're not making a change in the world that we live in. We have become, and, and the church to a certain degree have tried so hard to bring people in that they have started to look more like the world than the kingdom of God. And so, therefore, we do that sometimes because everybody want to be liked. We have been conditioned now for likes. When we post stuff, those of you who are out there, you want to post stuff. You don't want somebody to come back and give you no thumbs down. You want to be liked. So if you caught up in being liked, guess what? You're going to start changing your post. If you caught up in the being, you're going to figure out that when I talk about this subject in this manner, thumb down. But when I talk about this one, I get the thumbs up. So now that's when the Holy Spirit got to reveal the Am I going to compromise the truth of God's word just to be liked? And that's what Paul's trying to get to say. Man, look here. We going through all of this, and you guys say y'all reigning. <laughs> and here we are, the teachers, the one he called, the one who are the servant, we suffer. And the truth of the matter is, most of these guys died for the cause. So this wasn't no joke. They truly did suffer persecution for the cause. He said, y'all are being honored, but man, they're laughing at us. You know, some Christians, we can't take laughs. We can't take the world that, you know, y'all just went too far. Y'all just believe too much of that, that Bible now. Y'all, y'all got to understand that that was written way back then. No, that don't apply now. That ain't, that, ain't, that ain't true no more. And see, when the world starts saying something is not sin, they had a way of putting it in the airways to make it become acceptable. And when they do that and the church is silent, then now that becomes the new standard. And when the church go against that standard, comes persecution. So what the church does, stay away from. Because we don't want to be looked at as a garbage heap. Let me read on. <laughs> Y'all got to be okay with that. Let me read on. Verse 11. Let me verse 11. He says, even now, we go hungry and thirsty. And we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. And we are often beaten 
and have no home. For we work wearily with our own hands to earn a living. We bless those who curse us and we are patient with those who abuse us. I don't know, I don't know how that looks today in America. I, I, I just don't see the ministry, even myself, I just, I, I just don't, I wouldn't know what it would be like to be without clothes. I, I, I just wouldn't know what it would be like, you know, <laughs> to have nothing to keep warm. All because of this gospel. I, I just, I, I never experienced that. So now, if that level of persecution would come in my life, then it would be a test to see was I really, truly called? Or am I just called when it's convenient to preach the gospel and keep it so that nobody ever persecutes me? Now, how do you be patient with folks who abuse you? <laughs> that just don't make sense. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, man, for this cause, if, if you really in this thing for Jesus all the way, you, you got to go through something sometime. Everybody just can't like you all the time if you're standing for truth. But if you're silent sometime on truth, your silence could be complicity. And again, I think many churches are taking the easy way out. We don't want to deal with it. So therefore, it becomes now what, instead of hitting the word hard, like you say, Major, it is easy for me to put on a performance and get a performance there because now when I get into the performance mode, I don't really have to hit that hard because the effect that I want is going to be achieved through the performance. The human psyche can be led to a place with certain effects. You don't have to be anointed to get some people to do what you want them to do. You just need to know how to deal with the human psyche. And there are certain things and certain words that impact the psyche of people. And so sometimes when they don't know the truth, the things that impact their mind through visual experiences and things that they hear, they receive and think is true because they're ignorant of the truth. So that's why he go back and say earlier, hey man, look, you got to get the scriptures. One of the knocks that always been on striving, primarily on me, is that because we're teaching ministry, there's not enough gravy at the end of the sermon. You, you know, good word, man, but he left off the gravy. The rice was dry. The potatoes needed a little bit of gravy. And guess what they're telling me? We need something to stimulate us at the end of your message. Because we don't believe the word can do that. And so therefore, if I get caught up in that, then now I got, even if we don't have a musician, man, I could easily go to Mark and say, Marcus, find this song at the end of service sermon. 
blast it off loud and clear, and guess what? I'm going to get the results that I'm looking for. Because I know music can move people. But my call is to teach folk. And teaching is not always glamorous. Because in some teaching, you got to warn folk. You know, here later we're going to see this. If you are a parent and you got children, they don't like that part of your duties that require teaching and discipline them. It ain't glamorous. It ain't giving them all the warm fuzzies when you have to tell them, you're going to sit down there and you're going to do this. They're going, oh, mommy bad. Daddy bad. But sometimes you do that not to hurt them, you do it for their own. And sometimes, as leaders, we have to do things for people's own good, even though it tastes like castor Okay, let me read on. Verse 13. He says, we appeal gently when evil things are being said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everyday trash, right up to this present moment. God. Now you come back and say, look, I'm just, you know, I ain't whining. I ain't doing this to shame you. I'm just telling you this is what it feels like when you are not responding to this word that I'm teaching you. And at the end of this, we're going to see his biggest concern was that the false teachers had got into the church and they were starting to lead the people astray by giving them watered-down doctrine. And, and so he's saying, now, because we are trying to teach you the truth, and we're presenting it in the way that God would have us to do it, man, treat it like everyday trash. I mean, he just painted a nice picture there for us to get a mental picture of what he's trying to get us to see. Right up to this present moment. So, so, so I don't think today, you know, that wouldn't be a good feeling for a preacher to go somewhere where the world is treating us like they're garbage. We don't want the world to treat us like our garbage. Like, like they're garbage. We, that, that's a long But guess what? Now, this, this is going to be one of those secondary things. Y'all ain't got to take this, but this is just something Lord let me. When the world don't treat us like they're garbage, it may be that they identify with us as part of their I ain't got to treat somebody like what I am if they just like me. Now, I'm not saying anywhere that we ought to walk around and say, hey, world, come on at me because I want to prove that, you know, I don't like y'all. That ain't what I'm saying. But I am saying this. The church can't get too cozy with the world. Because when the church does that, then it loses power. The ability to affect change in the world. And so we have a standard to uphold as the church. And I know today, sometimes that's tough, sometimes that's hard. But that don't mean that we start rewriting God's scripture 
and start justifying stuff to make it right because the world says right. That's a tough call. So he says in verse 14, I am not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. So you can either get that analogy. Who would tell that child to do something just to shame them when you, you have their best interest at heart? They may not like what you're telling them, but you're telling them that so that you can warn them. As a parent, just by virtue of living longer, you ought to know more than your children know. And from your experience in life, you ought to be able to warn them of some things that life is going to present because you done been there. You done seen how that play out. You have had some of those experiences. So now you are saying to them, hey, I'm warning you. I don't want you to go through the same experience I went through. But that counter is, well, you did it, and you came out all right. Yeah, but you don't know where to put me through <laughs> to get back to here. You know I had to go through it. Boy, you don't want to really go through what I had to go through to get back to where I am now. Because if, if I had known that I would have had to go through all that to get back here, I would have took my chance that I could have got here quicker without the pain, the suffering, and all the things that came along with those bad decisions. So I don't think nobody here will sit and let their children make bad decisions all because they want to be, I don't want my child to see me at the world's garbage. You got an obligation to your children. And I'm talking to the young folks because most of y'all in here got grown children now. But, but even those may still need your wisdom and instruction, even though they're grown. And so that's why he's appealing. He's saying, look, I'm acting with, like this with you guys because I love you. I see you as children. And nobody wants to see their child suffer when they can help them get through something without having to go through that. Now, some children just going to learn their lesson the hard way. But even in that, you can have some peace if you know you have did your job of teaching your children. And we're going to see this on Sunday, man. We have an obligation to teach our children, to influence our children with this word. And God expects us to do that more than just on Sunday. And when we fall down in those areas and our children live outside of the parameters that God has set up, they come back to us. Because we have turned over educating our children to what's on television, and we hope the school catch all that crazy, and then we ain't saying nothing to counter that when they get home. So if you see your children as beloved children, you owe it to them to correct them, to warn them. And if they don't heed the warning, then when the chips fall, your conscience ought to be pretty good. But if you kept silent, just like the prophets in the Old Testament, you can't sit on a wall and don't sound the alarm. Somebody got to cry out sometime. Hey, this is a warning sound. If you don't change your life, man, you're going to crash and burn. I just, I just don't want to offend them. I don't hurt them. Well, what do you want to deal with their brokenness after you don't allow them to crash? Because they're coming back to you. Look at this, <laughs> verse 15. He says, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ when I preached the good news to you. So he saw himself as 
the father of the ministry because he founded the church there. And he said, hey, I ain't got no problem. Everybody else coming to you and teaching and building on that foundation. But look here. You only got one father. And so therefore, if he built right, you will hope that whoever built on top of that is going to build some things that's consistent with what he taught. And if they don't build with consistency of what he's taught, then guess what? I'm going to call in the question. No, no different. When, when my children left home and they started going church, to church in different places where they was going to, you know, in college or where they were living at that, and they called me and talked about church. Hey, this pop quiz coming. I'm going to ask you what, what, what they're talking about, what they're teaching over there. What they believe, what, what, what is the focus, what is the emphasis? Because look here, you belong to me. I got a vested interest in what other people build on your. You had that same responsibility to your children. When they get out in the world and start learning from other sources, you have a responsibility to still inquire, what are you learning, who are you learning from? Now, they don't have to listen to your wise counsel because, like I said a couple weeks ago, they're grown. But they steal your children. <laughs> your children. Relationship, like Brother Herb, I think, said, you know, it, the, the titles and stuff change a little bit. But at the end of the day, they're still your child. And when something bad happened to them, it's going to have an impact on you. Don't care if they've been gone out your house for 10 years. He said, now look, for I became like a father to you in Christ when I preached the good news. So now look what he does. He said, I urge you to imitate me. If you can trust me, I urge you to imitate me. In other passages where he used that same language, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ is the key. Now, and I started thinking, why would he say that instead of saying imitate Christ? Because he noticed some people are learners by what they, like Major, this is your point, Major, by what they see. See, when you're talking to some young folk like us, we ain't never seen Jesus. So when you tell them, Jesus said, do this, Jesus is telling us, you do it, and then they'll follow you. Proving Major's point. But we still have, a, now, now you're talking about children now because he's, putting them back in the frame of, mind of children. But at the same time, as we teach and train our children, they still have a responsibility to learn from what they have been taught. And then to try to apply those lessons. And then if they don't apply those lessons the way you have taught them, especially if you taught them right, then they're going to suffer the consequences for not following the instructions. Just like in the Bible, when we don't follow God's instruction, there's sometimes going to be consequences. And the consequences, the sad thing is, they don't always show up right away. And so what we have to be mindful is that if we are trying to live right, Major, go on what you're saying, then everybody can't stand up. But it would be nice if we could all be bold enough to say, look here, I'm trying so hard to strive to live like the Lord that I can tell somebody, hey, look, I know you ain't never experienced Jesus, you've never seen him, but look, just, just watch me. And if I fall, come and ask me, and I'll talk to you about it. But just watch me. I'm going to do my best to live right before you. Just watch me. Man, that's, that's a tough challenge. 
And over Tupac said, all eyes on. <laughs> he ain't got no problem. I just threw that in there to get a little humor in the house. You know, y'all got to really say that. But what I'm trying to say, get this, the world has no problem with people watching them. But then we're not bold enough to tell somebody, hey, watch. Watch me live before you, and then let the chips fall with me. But we should be striving to be like Jesus, and the more we do, our example, we should be an example. That's what discipleship is all about, is trying to train and teach and be an example before the people that you're teaching. Now, that don't mean that we're perfect, because he's never said, you know, that the intent is not for us to think that we're going to be perfect, because we're going to always have the potential to make a mistake. But there's a difference between when someone make a mistake and someone is purposely practicing sin. Well, you going, that's again going back to major argument. You know, at some point in time, and even when I was in the world, this is, like they say, no cap. <laughs> even when I was in the world, before I even started coming to church regular, in my worldly mind, I had an idea of what was right and wrong. I didn't even need to be spiritual. But somehow I had something, either based on examples I saw or whatever, I kind of knew, man, that is, that's not right. And I wasn't even going to church. Some of the stuff I did in high school, and see, I knew that is not right. And it wasn't like mama sit down and taught me a, a Bible lesson on that. It was just something from living and seeing the people I live around know that, hey, I ain't supposed to steal. And so what I'm trying to tell you, there are certain things that I think if we just live and try to live in a decent way, we can kind of sense some things that's just not right. Amen. Don't feel right. Don't look right. Don't sound right. And then as we grow, our spirit gets stronger, and you can discern those things. But even before, you know, we just kind of. But we, st well, we still influence. We, we operate under the influence of, of the evil one. We're going to see that again. I'm sorry. I don't want to get to head to a public head. But, but, but what we got to understand is that Christ is the example. And that's why you're trying to get back to him. Hey, man, look, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. Then he says uh, in, in, in verse 17, I'm going to read through 21. So he says, that's why I have sent Timothy. Now, Timothy was, Paul, was with Paul on his second missionary journey when he has found his church. So he said, look, I'm going to send somebody there who you know, who is beloved and, and a faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Paul said, look, my message is consistent. I can't come to you right now, but I'm going to send Timothy. He's a faithful co-laborer with me in the ministry, so therefore, I trust him enough to come back and check you and see whether or not you're trying to live. Because he know what I teach. I taught him. And so therefore, he know what to say. And he know whether or not you're following the thing. Because it wasn't like I taught jumbled up messages that you don't, he, didn't, he don't know. 
the gospel should not be so confusing that people can't understand the base of the gospel. When it comes to the basic gospel message, any preacher ought to be able to show up and preach the basic gospel message of Jesus Christ, Son of God, crucified, died for our sins, da 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 The basics of the gospel and then how to live to imitate him. There's certain things that if we have been in church for any period of time, we ought to be able to teach it to others even if we don't have a title. Just because we done been around and seen that it works in our life, Paul, last week we saw he got on it because he said, look, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you still need milk. So he was talking to them as a, as a group, saying, hey, look, at some point in time, all of us ought to be able to, any, I'm just of a weak-minded enough to believe that any believer that has really diligently tried to study God's word and live God's word, man, if someone tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, can you go upstairs and teach the kindergarten? a message about Jesus, I'm of the mindset, you ought to be able to do that. Amen. You don't need no PhD. You don't need that. All they're going to give you is a little card with a picture on it. A couple words on the back. You ain't got to be deep. <laughs> you just got to make sure the, che- the children know who Jesus is because you know who Jesus is, mm-hmm. what he did for him, them. But I know people run away from that, but I'm trying to tell you, there are certain things that is not that hard to do. Now, I'm not talking about teaching a room full of people who've been saved for a while and have these discussions with Major, because I wouldn't put anybody up here to stand before you and Brother Herb. Before I let somebody stand here on Wednesday night, I'm going to believe they can deal with you two guys. Because I know y'all going to come out of a little bit. That's okay. I ain't got no problem with that. But I don't need to have somebody stand up here, and then now when y'all come out with the, with the depth of knowledge that y'all got, they get shook up and can't go no further. Y'all even make me sweat. But my mindset is like, look here, if I stay with the scriptures, bring it on. Bring it on. That's what we're here to learn. We're here to learn from each other. Ain't got no problem with that. Because that's how learning takes place. And so therefore, we got to understand that, man, there got to be faithful people in the church. There got to be some Timothy around here that can teach, folks. Verse 18. Got too excited right there. <laughs> Look what he's telling me. Boy, he, he, you know, Paul, he says, some of you have become arrogant. You know, y'all don't got so caught up in y'all. So y'all think y'all so big. Y'all got the money. Y'all got the stuff. Y'all got all the stuff going on in Corinth. You, you got all your physical needs met. And then now you don't become arrogant, thinking that I not, will not visit you again. <laughs> y'all, we ain't scared of Paul. We don't care. He started the church. He's father in the middle. We ain't scared. I don't guess I don't bring them come on back. The false teachers that got up here, they tell them what we want to hear. He's going to come back and start talking about these, these, these warnings. He says, Paul says, the word of God, man, some of y'all have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. And that made me wonder sometimes. Can our kids grow to a point under our roof and they can get arrogant and think that we won't Act like mama or daddy. Well, that ain't everybody's philosophy. 
But what the point I'm trying to get you to see here is that because these children that was under him got to the point that they thought that they was greater than him, their arrogance started to show. And they thought that, hey, he ain't coming back. We're going to do what we want to do. And so that plays out sometimes even in our lives. When our kids have a sense that we are not going to come back, or no, you can be in the church, don't come back, we're going to do what we want to do. Look at this. He says, some of you have, not all of y'all, he didn't say everybody, have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit again. 19. But I will come and soon, if the Lord lets me. And I'm not going to do it on my will, but if God make a way, I'm coming to see y'all. And then I will find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches of whether they really had the power of God. He said, man, look, when I come in, I'm going to pop off. When I get back there with him, I'm going to find out. I ain't going to just get back there. You know, it, the, how I act when I get there is going to depend on how they act. That what he said? Because <laughs> I'm going to see if they got power. Because I'm coming back knowing that, hey, I got the power. And I'm going to operate in the power that I got. And if they want to come against that, guess what? It's on. But if they want to admit that, hey, We've been wrong today. I can come back with love and kindness and happiness. Amen. Oh, y'all think I'm lying, don't you? Look what he said. He said, he said, these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches on what, or, or, or give pretentious speeches on whether they really have God's power. I'm going to check out and see whether they're just talking it or they got the power to back it up. Look what he says in verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. Anybody can talk it. You don't even have to come to church every Sunday to talk it. When we were in the hood, we know how to. Ain't nobody teach me how to talk noise. You just felt like you, I'm going to just talk it. But every now and then, somebody call your bluff. And when they call that bluff, if you can't back up the talk, then you're going to come under the power. And Paul sounds a little gangster right here. He said, now, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. I mean, power is power. Power. The power of the Holy Spirit. The church ought to have power. How do I know that he was talking about confrontation? He said, look. Which do you choose? The ball's in your court, baby. When I get there, you're going to have a choice. So should I come with a rod to punish you? Or should I come with love and a gentle? You determine. You got three months before I get there. And when I get there, how you act is going to determine how I respond. Now, that wouldn't sound like somebody, a little wimpy guy who ain't got no power, who don't understand the authority that God has given him as a faithful steward. And see, now, anytime 
that challenge is sometimes issues, ministries are folding because people put them on a guilt trip. You shouldn't be doing that. Wait a minute. You made a choice. You just can't do what you want to do and violate God's word. Just can't do that. Somebody got to tell you that's wrong. And so next week y'all got to be here because next week it get really nasty. I mean it really do. Because he said, you know, man, God, man, y'all done got so puffed up and so arrogant. Y'all just done put your finger over your nose and anything go on in the church. And y'all still on that praise. I ain't even there. But I'm told what you need to do. Oh, boy, I got to go. Y'all can't get there and praise the Lord when you know this is going on. That's a tough call sometimes. But Paul was serious about this church. Now, get this now. I want you to keep in mind, I'm done. This was the first letter to the Corinthian church. He wrote two. This one is the tough letter. It gets a little better as it goes. But the second letter got a whole different tone and tenor. So even they, they must have learned some things from this first letter. Because this first letter, man, he ain't, you know, he ain't taking no tea for the season. Because he realized that they had lost focus of Jesus, man. That's serious. When the church that we call a Christian church and we don't even talk about Jesus no more, we don't mention him, don't sing about him. You just can't go to church for a month, man, and nobody say nothing about Jesus. When I was brought up in the Baptist church, that's one thing, whether we was living it right or wrong or not, they taught us, hey, man, when you end every sermon, you better get back to the cross. I don't care what you're preaching about. You can hoop, holler, do all I want. But when you get to the end, you better bring Jesus into the picture. Don't you go sit down and you don't talk about him and what he's done for you. And they drill that in our head. So we always felt like, hey, man, Jesus got to get a little air time. And so I challenge y'all. You know, y'all are, are students. Y'all know who you listen to out there. Just go listen to some sermons. You ain't got to listen to us here. Go, I don't care. Go listen to them. And listen to them as a student and see, is Jesus, can I even see a hint of Jesus? They ain't got to do, if you, if you saved and you got his spirit, you can tell when they glorify him. Just do it. Come back and bring me your evaluation. Sometimes the sermon is more about politics and all this other stuff. And you don't even hear Jesus mentioning. And I ain't got no problem with the preachers getting on a political wagon every now and then. I ain't got no problem. Political preaching, you know, but you can't let that override Jesus. I don't mind keeping people current on what's going on in the world. But at some point in time, we got to point people back to Jesus. I mean, that's all I'm trying to say. And I think we, we owe it to not just the people in this ministry, but we owe it to the people in our families, our grandchildren. Got to point them. And so sometimes when we do that, and I'm done, it's not going to always be with fanfare. 
but you got to feel like, hey, man, I'm doing this for my grandchild's good. I'm doing this for my child's good. They may not see it now, but hopefully when they get older, they will. Because you don't want that blood on your hands, especially when they're under your roof and you're still responsible for them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Brother Herbert, and then we just we got a couple minutes. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, another challenge, I would say, um, I was going to speak on what earlier, but I'll let that go. <laughs> um, another challenge is about when we say worship and praise, when we get our team, singing or the lyrics listen to the word or we worship God or we praising God in the songs or the writings of the songs that's a challenge because a lot of times that uh, we listen to if you listen to the words of the worship or praise is it is it if I'm praising about me what I receiving in the, in the word, or am I, I worshiping God? Amen. Just take a look at some of the songs that, uh, that, uh, that we do sing. Amen. Because you, you, you'll see the same thing in the sense when you're talking about preaching the word about Jesus or about God. Also, that's a song of worship and praise. And you can see that some of the, some of the lyrics is, and, it, is and, it worship of God. And that's true. And, and as we finish... That, that phenomenon hit the church probably about 25, 30 years ago when music, you know, used to be a time you would clearly say, hey, I'm singing gospel music. And when you heard the word gospel, you know the word is going to be about Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. Somewhere in there, it's going to relate to the scripture, something in the Bible, gospel. But then there was a wave that came along say people want to hear inspirational music because inspirational music can sell in both markets. If you put Jesus in the song, you don't cut off half of your market because only those people who can relate to Jesus are going to buy. But if you allude to him in the song by just saying him, he, in terms like that, then now your song will have crossover appeal. And then now other people will buy your music. And that, that happens, yeah, so I, I agree with you on that. I think lyrical content is important, but I won't downplay the fact that some people may be inspired by those songs where there's been testimonies where people give that, hey, that song helped me through a tough time. And, and if you listen to a lot of artists, some of their music is testimonial. What they have been through, what God has brought them through. And you can listen for that too in their lyrics. Okay, this guy's talking about an experience that God brought them through. And as a result of that, I put it to song. And as, a, as of that, I tied it to a scripture, I tied it to that. And, I, and then it can reach people who are going through some of the similar things I'm going through. But that music piece is a, is a, really a big elephant there, and uh, no argument there. Okay. Yes, sir. Before you leave, can I ask you a question? I was asked a question. I know it's not related to. It's, it's related to the, the word, but it's not related to what we're talking right now. The question is, when we go to heaven, because I was told that, one of my relatives was upset that I didn't say, what is the purpose of accepting Christ? Meaning it's life. If when he um, die and not going to see him, 
even though not what he see is loved ones. Like, you know, like what, what is the purpose? I'm not going to see my loved ones that passed on and gone. And I'm like, I think you will because the Bible says that when he comes, I'm going, the dead in Christ is what I'm going to pick up first. So how do I go about that one? Well, I, you know, and again, that's a def definitely a deep, another deeper subject. And, uh, and, and so um, I, I can't do it just, but I'll tell you this. There's a lot of different teachings out there on that because there are some people think that, you know, when Jesus made the comment that, you know, when someone said, when I get to heaven, will I know my husband or my wife? When I get there and the person had been married seven times or something like that, and said, well, which one am I going to be my wife? But Jesus said, wait, when, they, when you get to heaven, ain't going to be no marriage. You know, you're going to all be spiritual relationships going to be different. But I think we have written songs so long about when I get to heaven, I'm going to see mama, I'm going to see daddy, you know, streets paper go because Revelation talks about that. And, and so... I can't stand here and, and, and definitely say, hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to recognize my mama as my mama. I, I don't know what a glorified body looks like and is it going to be that type of relationship. I just have to believe that because my mama believed in Jesus and he promised eternal life that she's there. Okay. And I hope that I would see her again in that route. But I can't, and, and somebody may be able to find and have a scripture. I can't find a scripture that say you're going to, you're going to know mama when you get there. I can't find it. I, I haven't found one yet that say that. And so some, when people want to make an argument out of that, that may be an argument. But if they're trying to make that argument to, not, to justify not accepting Christ, then that's a faulty argument to make. And so that's what we have to defend. And, and again, we can talk about more that more uh, in, a, in a sidebar. Okay, some announcements. 